welcome to the Invisible Cabaret Podcast. I'm Ferrera Rochelle. And I'm Rosie Verbose. And together we run Invisible Cabaret, a performing arts troupe dedicated to opening up the conversation surrounding mental health. Join us as we talk to some of the most bodacious burlesque babes, cabaret creatives and inspiring artists about how their creativity and mental health intertwine. Let's pull back the curtain and strip away stigma. Please note, we at Invisible Cabaret are not mental health professionals. If you're affected by any of the issues raised in this programme, we've made a list of resources for you on our website, www.invisiblecabaret.org forward slash podcast forward slash resources. It's that time again. Yes, welcome to the Invisible Cabaret podcast with me, Rosie Verbose, and lovely Ferrero Rochelle. Say hello, Ferrero. Hello, hello, hello. We are very excited today to be joined by someone who is a burlesque entrepreneur, an author, a business coach, a musician, oh, so many more, a creative all-rounder. Welcome, Sapphira. Hey, thanks for having me. There's so many strings to your bow, Sapphira, that we literally ran out of words there for how to describe yeah, you. Yeah, try and write a bio. I can never squeeze it into 50 words. I'm like, that's at least, like, I need at least 10 of them to say all the different strings. I can't, exactly. like, play. Exactly. That's like entrepreneur, I feel like, is, is, is one of those mysterious words that could be a lot of things. Mm, okay, so that's, that's a, a word that you run with then. But is, burlesque is a big passion of yours, isn't it, Sapphira, fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think anyone who's sort of probably wandered onto your podcast is similar. Um, it's just a really captivating art form and has given me a lot of, you know, avenues to express myself. I mean, we can't wait to, to delve into some of those avenues today. I'm thinking with well, Burlesque Day and the Ibiza Burlesque Festival. Can we talk about some of those sort of projects and things that you run and pioneer? Definitely. I, I, I just really want burlesque to have a sort of major shift in perception for the public. And I think that we are in an opportune time to really grasp and take our art form into a safe place where people really understand and trust it and we're in this more eccentric category rather than suspicious category, which I think <laughs> in some instances, and I'm finding this around the world now, we seem to be sometimes tarred with this sort of brush of mistrust and a bit suspicious. <laughs> mm, fascinating. Already got got some questions there. Um, <laughs> but I'll try I'll try and rein it in. I'll be good. Um, so we've got World Burlesque Day. So how what's the story behind that? So that was that's about shifting public perception essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about um, two purposes: uh, participation, which is to demystify the art form of burlesque and enable anyone from the public to give it a go or get involved or have a look at it because they might have heard of it and not quite understand what it is. Sure. And the second is to connection, which is just to connect the global burlesque community because there's so many of us and we've never really had a way to connect before. On a day we are all equal where there's not, you know, an entry or an application form. It's just something anyone can run with and it's a day that we're all part of. Wow, that sounds lovely. Love so that. inspiring. Definitely, uh Definitely something to watch out for. So let's talk about your experience with the Ibiza Burlesque Festival. Because when I hear Ibiza, I don't think 
burlesque festival? No, no, maybe not the first association. No, No, you're so right. But I've been trying to bring, you know, a champion for neo-burlesque, which is not probably very obvious from the way I portray myself with balloons and singing Mm. Marilyn Monroe. But my own album has been a fusion of dance music working with the world's best producers. And it was when I went to Ibiza on my honeymoon that I saw the first you know, iteration of a phenomenal live show synchronised in like a multi-million dollar venue with DJ production that I realised my dream was actually like in its fledgling stages and I wanted to really bring that even more articulate um, in a festival and and have this these super clubs as my playground. So they were um, very much uh, already on board with Burlesque. Dita had been there for about 10 years performing uh, in the DJ's set. No idea. Yep. Goodness me. That's how I wound up there because I was kind of, you know, following her lead and I thought if she's starting to break down the barriers, took my husband there for our honeymoon, which wasn't really relaxing. We we promised we wouldn't network, but we were. We were standing side of stage and feathers and handing the out hustle, CDs man. and cards. It's the hustle. Really seriously hustling. But they had this mega show on called Burlesque and there were billboards all over the island. So it wasn't a burlesque show. It was a club night with burlesque themes. Everyone was in feathers okay. and pearl like lingerie on horses and it was a super club. But I thought this is the my chance to actually ride with this because burlesque was all over the island on billboards. So people were starting to understand what it was. Barcelona had its burlesque festival and uh, I just I just went for it and um, just told people I was bringing burlesque and clubbing together. Amazing. What's the reception been like for that so far, Sapphira? Well, it's it was already happening there. It just hadn't really been articulated in the context of burlesque festival. Um, Got you. So they they get it because they really love opulence and extravagance. And until you've been in like on center stage of or center dance floor of like amnesia with five thousand clubbers and like t- you know two hundred thousand euros worth of effects going off and girls dancing all around you um, in uh, glorious costumes. You can you will understand why they wasn't difficult to in, help them understand why it would work. And I sh- just took I took a slide because I work in media. I took a PowerPoint and I just showed them how many cities had burlesque festivals and how big it was and growing. And I think when someone saw, well, if Wales has its own burlesque festival, Ibiza definitely needs one. They <laughs> right, said right. to me. <laughs> so you know, it was a lot of just really finding the right venues. And then they have like high-end venues. So we got on the Cirque du Soleil stage in the first year, which was a lot of hustling, proper hustling. Wow. Like and um that was a victory because that you know, was my vision again to raise burlesque to absolutely the highest standards and their venue is like a multi-million dollar stage. So we had equipment at our fingertips that I've never even been able to touch. That It oh looked like goodness. a space station, like the eight people operating the stage upstairs. Um, it was huge what they could do. I literally, I can't even picture it. it fe- I feel like it would be something out of a movie. It sort of was. I mean, these people have all come from film and like, you know, top, top circus uh, tiers of entertainment. So I really knew um, having slogged away, like, you know, beating the streets, handing out flyers all over Melbourne, Australia, London, (laughs) Bristol, that I had made it. It was my welcome in my initiation when Cirque du Soleil said yes to my vision and took me on for the first year. That was my my kind of initiation into the next level where I'd like burlesque to be. And I realised it was a really big privilege and honour and it's taken a lot of work to get to that point. And then they invited us back to open the next year and I thought that to me was more the um, 
indication that like I have potential and I was very, very, very honoured. I was just this Australian standing there kind of quaking in my boots side of stage and there were many, many things like that were tested my mental health but luckily I'd been practising things, a lot of skills so that helped me just ride that. So can we talk a bit about your mental health journey because that's another area you're hugely passionate about as attested by your your memoir can you tell us a little bit about the book and then kind of a little taster of what we'd hear in the book a little bit about the the background and and the beginnings of your journey with mental health absolutely I mean my absolute aim in life is to share joy and I had that from a very young age and I knew even when I was like tiny and knee-high to a grasshopper I had a special ability to connect with people and so being a performer in burlesque has just been an extension of that. It just took me time to find myself and to find that as my platform. But mm. I began um, with a link to Ibiza unbeknownst to me because I was raised in a really like quite horrifically conservative uh, brethren sect as a teenager all the way from my babyhood. Wow. And so for the early parts of my life, it was absolutely fine because I was very innocent and not really, you know, worldly in any way. It mm. became more of a problem once I started going through puberty and questioning some of these very, like, conservative views. And unfortunately, my immediate, like, flamboyance was quite evident. I think all of us on this call who are performers, you know, and anyone listening would know, you know when you're destined to be performing. It's something yeah. that <laughs> kind of is, yeah. either makes you the black sheep of your family or the hero of your family. But mm. it is a certain quality. And, and I think early on I, I was given the chance to perform at our church and very evidently as I got more and older and started slinking around in like leotards and things, the bre- brothers didn't approve and it started to get condemned and it made me feel that, you know, being sexy was very sinful and it was reinforced that, you know, if you were sort of in any way seductive you could get sent to hell or mm-hmm. it was it was a real blight on you know, what God would think of you. And I think in hindsight, it was slightly a way they used, you know, fear to control me and other women. And um, so I tried to pigeonhole myself into this, like, character. I tried to be a really good girl and, and I was an actress. So I was just acting. I'd pick up the Bible. I'd say all the prayers. But I was not being genuine and I was right. living a double life. So that was where the breakdown eventually happened, um, living these two personalities just was not healthy and I had a psychotic episode when I was 21. So, you know, burlesque was the the, the real light for that to heal. It, the burlesque wasn't the thing that healed me and I have to make that clear. I didn't put on a corset in the middle of like a psychiatric home and wave a wand and was better. Like it took a lot of medication to calm me down and, you know, some pretty like very, you know, strict methods that I to this day sort of wonder were there better ways. But I'm glad that I got better and it got me home. But uh, it was then a year later when I came to London and I just did not like myself that I found burlesque and found a way to make peace with all these misconceptions. Does that make sense? Oh, it's mm. it so does. Fascinating. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that was where the link was. So for me, the really interesting piece is my whole journey is about full circle And when I was 21 in this hospital in Melbourne, there was this CD series called Café Del Mar Compilations. And I didn't know what Café Del Mar was. I just knew that when I was in hospital really unwell, I was allowed a CD player. 
and this one piece of music called Tones, which was just a haunting but soothing piece of piano, began playing in my room and it, it just, um, it was my lifeline. My thoughts were so chaotic and erratic and I couldn't tell the truth from the, you know, trees. I was believing so much fear, but this one beautiful, soothing melody was playing in my room and it just spoke to me and calmed me down and I can't really explain it, but that song is from a compilation that is actually originated from Café del Mar in Ibiza. Now here's the interesting thing, the composer of that piece is still alive and 10 years ago I emailed him from Australia and said, Mark, your music saved me. When I couldn't play piano, you played it for me. And he was so moved, he sent me the sheet music. Wow. It's somewhere in Australia and my parents are selling the house right now and I hope that they can find it because I've had Gosh, to move yeah. a lot following my dreams and... Um, that's meant not being able to take all these little kind of, you know, trinkets. You you have to really be quite ruthless when you move yeah, countries. Sure. Just to dial back for a second, you mentioned that your your parents are selling the the house. What is your relationship like with them after everything that that happened when you were a child and a teenager? Oh, I love them. You know, they're just really good-hearted people, and they believe different things to me. But um, it's a great opportunity to practice unconditional love and I don't think they ever got entangled with this group thinking it would be so damaging for me. I think that they just wanted the best for us and they felt that there are lots of things people need protecting from and possibly this group kind of, you know, was quite influential and a bit, you know, militant. So they just were quite impressionable and followed some of these beliefs. But I get along with them really well. Um, you know, I mean, they've come to my burlesque show. They've once seen me do the nipple tassels. The second time, I didn't have the gumption to do it. And mum said, I don't think you need to anyway, darling. Aww. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> so I, they don't really love burlesque per se, but they also buy me things. Like, you know, they bought me like a little scarf that went with my costume. It's their way of saying they approve. We support you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a wonderful relationship. It's complicated. And, um, you know, I just really made a forgiving them and the church a big part of my mission in life because it was really awful carrying all this resentment around and um, blaming everybody. So I did a lot of work on that as well. And I continue to work like that because I just think resentment is so debilitating. Absolutely. Yeah. Very different experience. But I do have um, a degree of empathy for what you're talking about, because I was raised in an evangelical Christian household that was pretty zealous. So I've mm. I've got some level of empathy about kind of the negative uh, ideas that seep in either indirectly or directly about sexuality and and all the things you are and could be. And like, it's a huge the huge weighty, weighty stuff, isn't it? And can really change how you perceive yourself. So from a kind of creative, uh, I think you used the word flamboyant earlier point of view, uh, that flamboyance, has that been healing as well? Kind of coming in touch with that and like your music and that kind of thing, the creative sides, how is that sort of I mean, I just can't in? not be, I just can't not be flamboyant and... <laughs> And that's might been a problem though, because you know that's not how everybody else is, and it's so throughout my life I've had to work out how to rein it in, and I've had to find like environments and and like seek out like sort of circles where that works, and I'm accepted and actually yes. encouraged. Otherwise, it's a complete disaster. 
And what about your piano and things like that? Are you still writing music? How's all that going? How's that side of things? Oh, I love the piano. I mean, that was my lifeline. You know, that was my first love, I guess, because that was where I was first. That was permitted all the way through church as well. That was never one of the Ah. things that got shut down. Playing Mm. classical piano and writing my own songs on piano wasn't something that ever got taken away, whereas, like, listening to the radio and dancing was, you know, very policed. Um, Mm. So that was my outlet, you know, all the stress and, like, kind of frustration just poured out into piano. But then that was all I had. So I used to play it for hours every day. Then as I got more into, like, my adulthood and came to London, I I initially had a a piano I rented. Now... um, through having burlesque, I don't need it as much because I've found other ways to express myself. But I'm, if I ever can, I just love sitting there, you know, and just – it's like meditation for me. It's a bit like what people feel when they run or they swim. I just, It just completely gets me into this, like, altered sort of ethereal world and it's very healing. And I love the sound of a real piano. Like, keyboards are a bit of a second cousin to the piano, you know? Yeah, I hear that. Mm. We know a thing or two about that, don't we, Rush? Having had yes, to um, <laughs> lug a keyboard round to some venues and then you see a venue with a piano and you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. After we've lugged it there. Though, yeah, after we've lugged the happens. keyboard We've there. lugged the keyboard there and we've set it all up and then we're like, oh, a piano, but we'd rather use the piano. Absolutely, <laughs> every time. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I love it all. And, you know, burlesque has been the place I could bring it all together because there was no rules. And it was like, oh, I can be a songwriter here. I can play piano. I can sing. I can, you know, just... There was just a way to sort of be a variety artist of every description. And it's it's still evolving. I love sitting back and watching people, you know, kind of just invent and add to burlesque. Like, I just, I wouldn't think there could be anything new, but there is always something new, isn't there? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even what you're doing, things. even what you guys do with like your mental health balloon pop act is just innovative <laughs> and genius. And it's like... Oh my God, that's just a great way to, and and spoken words become a big part of burlesque. That wasn't a thing. People didn't really mime or have like the kind of not, you know, the spoken word, like kind of voiceover type things we Mm. see with people doing like positive body affirmation voiceovers or Mm. that's Mm. kind of quite in the last kind of five years, I think. So with an eye on what the landscape of burlesque has been and what it has been to you, what are you looking forward to? So what do you have planned for your future in terms of burlesque and in terms of your creativity and your journey? What have you got next lined up? It's That's such a great question. There's two things that I'm, are my calling. One is to fulfil my album, which is finally like getting to this great, exciting, tangible place and taking my songs from audio at recordings to bringing them alive with videos and choreography has been amazing. But I've actually got like six of my songs now all staged ready and they've been like tested in Ibiza like in some of the top venues and and in Bristol and so I really want to bring like electronic music and burlesque together and have that moment that's my total like true north but 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 alongside that I feel like my my mantle is because I am skilled in understanding how brands work and think and repositioning of things and I've worked in a lot of big companies and seen how that process is done um, in international companies. I feel my actual like next task in burlesque is is to not be there for me but to be there for the scene and actually facilitate some of this transitioning from the kind of dark kind of, you know, dun- dungeon-y type backstage rooms that we're sort of currently 
you know, assigned to helping burlesque be rebranded and repositioned in a way that the public can access it. So that's what World Burlesque Day was about because, you know, I have a, an ability to understand how to orientate and navigate something global because of my job roles. And also I feel like I have an ability to orientate and um, facilitate some rebranding for us as a scene because I understand how that happens. And World Burlesque Day is part one of that strategy. World Burlesque Day is about making burlesque less frightening for people because it's a day and it's a burlesque global day. So already we are by force and by just having that day united and that makes us seem less weird and less obscure to the general public. Absolutely. And you're obviously seeing the shifts and you're attuned to to see the small steps that are going to make the big change if somebody listening is is listening because they think burlesque and cabaret is interesting and maybe they're they're interested in mental health and and the benefits that it that it might have for them there um why do you think they should give burlesque a go what is it about it that will help them or transform their life potentially it is a very rare art form where there's no rules really and in that it gives you complete license to reinvent yourself so if you can imagine it in burlesque it's possible um it's just really thrilling absolutely definitely well i think this is a really good opportunity for us to think about what we're grateful for this week it's time to get grateful Sophia, do you want to start what are you grateful for this week i'm just grateful for talking to you and for zoom really i mean <laughs> It's an amazing piece of technology that saved me. You know, I think I've had a lot of interesting people pinging into my living room that I would have never reached out to. Yeah. That has been the gift. Yeah, yeah. It's enabled us to get, like, resourceful and it's made us sort of seek each other out a bit more. Um, that's one thing I'm grateful for. You go. Our mind's little and silly, so I'll go next. Um, I am, it's not silly, but it is little. Um, I am grateful for this week, I tasted the best grapes I have ever had in my life. Um, <laughs> Were they the, ca- the cotton candy ones? So, the cotton cotton candy grapes. Who has cotton? Yeah, candy floss flavoured grapes. What? Why there's you... like a there's a breed of grape that naturally tastes like candy floss. They weren't those grapes. So carry they on weren't, grapes. but I need to seek those out <laughs> immediately. Um, so these were from our a local farm shop. So they are you know homegrown grapes, and they are massive. They're like a you can't do them in one bite. They're like a two bite grape. Um, they are plump <laughs> and fruit. juicy and sweet and mm 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 mm. So I am grateful for uh, fruit and especially you know given having a, a, a weird body that, that hates things at different points uh it's you know safe safe nice food to eat and and yummy what what, what more can you want nature's candy absolutely nature's candy <laughs> so that's that's, that's juicy grapes that's that's me this week so we've also heard from two of the lovely invisible cabaret girls two of our troop uh we have heard from the lovely Ida sanguine who said that she is grateful for morning cuddles with doggies and then added, it's like an, an addendum, doggy butts are the best. <laughs> um, and then we've also heard from Belle Bluestocking, the lovely Belle Bluestocking, who said that she's also grateful for a fluffy creature and she's grateful for her little bunny, Frida. She's got a new house bunny and uh, has sent us through a picture of Frida in her teepee. Um, 
I, I don't know if I can handle this much cute, so I think we should move on. Go on, Ferrero. Rochelle, what are you grateful for this week? Oh, I'm so excited to be telling you what I'm grateful for this week. I am grateful that in September, I'm going to be an auntie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. My brother and sister-in-law um, told us at the beginning of the year that they're expecting a baby and I um, have had to keep this secret <laughs> for three months, for 12 weeks. It's been very, very difficult for me because <laughs> I just wanted to tell everybody because I'm so excited for them. I'm so, so, so excited. And uh, I have on more than one occasion referred to the future baby as our baby, <laughs> collective <laughs> <laughs> it's not just their baby it's our baby, mm, everyone's um, baby. so <laughs> yeah, everyone's baby um this is a baby that is going to be so beloved in our entire family we are so excited I was lucky enough to be on the phone call when my brother told my grandparents and my aunt and I was on the phone call my parents were on the phone call Basically, we were all on loudspeaker together. It was like we were in the room together. And he said, you're going to be great grandparents. And the room erupted. Oh. Like, they absolutely screamed and shouted. They were just so, so excited. So, uh, yes, congratulations, Josh and Ellie. And congratulations, congratulations me. Because Josh I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> well, that's really lovely. On our baby. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I am very, very excited Aww. for you all. Thank you. We're excited yeah, too. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of excitement, um, Sapphira, where can people, you know, if they're G'd up to, to learn more about the stuff that you've been talking about, where can they find you? What in particular are we looking out for? Give us the deets. So I'm at Sapphira Music on most platforms, at S-A-P-P-H-I-R-A Music and um then world burlesque day on most platforms as well what date is that in the calendar so it's the 26th of april 2021 it's a monday 26th of april it's in the diary and Lovely. join the world burlesque day dance challenge i am releasing a cover a drum and bass cover of boots are made for walking which is quite like uh fun to boogie around to and we're gonna have a dance challenge which will be called Burlesque in Boots. Burlesque in <laughs> Boots. Thank you so much, Sophia, for joining us. And thank you to our listeners. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here with us. So if you'd like to join in the conversation and share what you're grateful for, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, or you can send us an email at invisiblecabaret at gmail.com. All of the good things, all of the socials, you can find us there. And we'd love to hear from you. Stay safe, stay well, and be kind to yourselves. Bye-bye. This has been the Invisible Cabaret Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please reach out to us on one of our many socials. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Just search Invisible Cabaret. We'd also be grateful if you could rate and review the podcast and share it with a friend so we can continue stripping away stigma together.